Let's pray and dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We thank you that you're a God of all miracles. You're a miraculous God. You can do exceedingly abundant above all we ask or think. Lord, from tonight's chapter, I pray we'd be encouraged, exhorted, rebuked if necessary. Lord, we pray we'd leave here knowing you better because to know you better is to love you more. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So grab your outline. As you know, second, first and second Kings, we've been looking at the kings of Israel. And then after Solomon fell, that the, the kingdom was torn in two. The 10 northern portions were called Israel, the two southern tribes, Judah. We've been lar- looking largely at the northern tribes for the most part. And we've seen their, their failure. And we saw nothing but more and more evil kings. And now with Jehoram, who is the son of Ahab. Ahab was the most wicked king that ever ruled over Israel. His wife was Jezebel, the most wicked queen who ever ruled over Israel. In the middle of that, God raised up prophets. First, there was Elijah, who God used mightily. Now, Elijah had ascended into heaven, and taking his place is Elisha. And here's the reality. Sometimes we can feel like we're just a small remnant in a wicked and a perverse world. And I think we can say safely living in California, that's true. Amen? We needed some ice, evidently. Okay. But, but the reality is that wherever we are, God has us there for a reason. And my prayer is as there's a mass exodus out of California that I do understand that we would make sure that we're being led by the Holy Spirit, not moved by our circumstances, because California needs Jesus. Amen? So grab your outline and tell the message, our God is a God of the miraculous. So we're going to see in tonight's text several miracles. And we're going to see how these miracles come about. And we're going to see the heart of those who God blesses with these miracles. Does our God still do miracles? What's the answer? But the Bible also tells us we have not because we ask not. When was the last time you prayed for the miraculous? When was the last time you prayed for something that from the world's perspective didn't make sense? You know what? Our God is a God who answers prayer. And again, he's a God of the miraculous. First point I'm going to ask, we'll look at tonight is who do you cry out in times of desperation? Who do you cry out to in times of desperation? We're going to see times of desperation. And we're going to see a woman who's in the midst of it and who she turns to, who she looks to for answers and for hope. Exercising our faith requires action. It's one thing to say we have faith, but again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And true faith does more than just believe it behaves. Amen. And there's action that takes place when we truly have faith. Number two, do you have a heart to serve and bless others? We're going to see in tonight's text, the true hospitality and the true heart of a servant is somebody who serves wanting nothing in return. Somebody who serves looking for no recognition and no compensation. We have a lot of people in the world today that give, and they're the first ones to tell you how much they gave. You have people that give today and they will literally take out a full page in the newspaper to tell everybody what they just gave. And the the heart of of a believer, the heart of somebody who's humbled before the Lord is someone who wants to give, wanting no recognition and needing no compensation. And we'll see how God, again, blesses those who act accordingly. And then we'll see that God uses people who pray. You want to get, want to see God do greater things in your life? Pray more. 
You know, the fact that we can enter into the presence of God, that the veil has been torn and we can speak, enter into the Holy of Holies anywhere and anytime, may we never take that for granted. May we never take that lightly. One of the things I miss that I haven't done in a while, and I need to get back to doing it again, I used to go to Israel, Israel, to India every year. I've been to Israel a lot of times, but I went go to India every year and teach up, up to a thousand pastors how to study and teach the Bible and go into these villages where they're literally putting their life on the line to preach the gospel. And what happens when you go to those environments, you recognize just how soft the church has become in America for the most part. How we, these people don't have Bibles and they, and they pray for a Bible. They pray for an opportunity. To, they pray for housing. They pray for food for the next day. But we see joy in their hearts. And, and the sad part is that we lose contact with God because we don't spend enough time in his word and we don't spend enough time in prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. And we know that our God answers fervent prayer. You'll understand it when we get there, but the fourth thing we're going to see is death in the pot. What is that? We're going to see in tonight's text that Elisha is going to come upon, after, after witnessing other miracles, he's going to come upon the the school of prophets, if you will, the sons of the prophets. And we're going to see that they're fed a meal and there's poison in the meal. And then we're going to see how that poison is eradicated. And it's not the way that we would think. And there's such a great example for us in this miracle in that the way that God gets rid of sin is he, he doesn't have us remove all the sin from our life because we could never get it done. Amen. Instead, he redeems us and wipes the sin clean. Amen. And we're going to see tonight that there's this poisonous pot of food during the midst of a famine. They start to eat it and they're being poisoned and something is added to it that makes it no longer poisonous, but makes it something that refreshes and feeds and nurtures. And that's exactly what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. Amen. And then finally, the Lord will take what little we have and multiply it for his glory. One of the lies the enemy will tell you is that you don't have anything to give to the Lord that you just don't have any special gifts and you're not like the pastors or the worship leaders or the missionaries or the evangelist. And you look at other people and you see the gifts they have and you think that your gift is of no value. And here's the reality. You have gifts I don't have. I may have gifts you don't have, but the church functions best when we all use the gifts God has given us. Amen. And God has given you gifts. He didn't save you you know, to make you a pew potato. He didn't save you. So you could be the biggest, fattest, best fed chief in town. And as we talk about often, the dead sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. God wants to use us for his glory. So let's begin there looking at our God is a God of the miraculous. And I am so thankful that he is. It says in verse one, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and a creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slave. So this man was a prophet and he died and he left behind a widow with two sons. And in those days, when you owed money, when you had a creditor, if you could not pay them back, one of the ways they could extract or, or receive payment would be to enslave those who owe the debt to have them basically work it off. And the way it would typically work is that, that they would enslave the able-bodied males within the family. So in this case, 
She's just, her husband has died. She has two sons and a creditor has come and said, I'm going to take your two sons away to pay off the debt that you and your husband accumulated, that your family accumulated. So now this woman, and we're going to see it's in the midst of a, a famineous and difficult time. She is going to have no way to provide for herself. In those days, uh, women didn't typically have ways to provide for themselves. They were the, the house homekeepers. They raised the kids. They cared for their husband. And so literally she was going to be in a position where she could potentially starve to death. And so in the midst of this great trial, as her husband is now gone and her sons are about to be taken, notice what she does. She cries out to who? To Elisha. What she does is she goes to the prophet of God. And in those days, you know, she didn't have the ability to open up the word of God necessarily, but she could go to the man of God to seek his help, to seek his intercession with almighty God, because she was in a situation where she was desperate. And in her desperation, she didn't mock God. She didn't curse God because her husband was taken. She wasn't angry with God or angry with the creditor. Instead, she turns to the man of God and she seeks wisdom. And she's seeking a way for God to bring deliverance from her current situation. Guys, when we go through difficulties and trials, what we ought to be doing is running to God, not from him. Amen? Now, this week, I was talking to uh, one of my pastor friends who had just spent all that time in the hospital. And uh, it's going to sound awkward, but he said, you know, when I got out, I had a little more Dave, Pastor Dave in me. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, bro, man, you're just fearless. And I'm, I'm more fearless now. You know why? Because when you know that your life is but a vapor, and when you're reminded that you don't have the promise of tomorrow, how do you want to spend that vapor of time you have left? Amen? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so when we come to places of desperation, here's what it does. Being desperate is good for you. I say this often. I think every Christian should have a near-death experience about every two years. Because when you're desperate, you know what happens? You pray more fervently. When you're desperate, you're more sensitive and to hear that still small voice. When you're desperate, you have a passion and a desire to seek the Lord, to find his will. When you recognize you can't fix it on your own, you're crying out to God. Again, when you're lying down in green pastures, you may forget where the shepherd is, but when you're walking through the valley, the shadow of death, you're hanging on to him with both hands. Amen? So being humble, broken, and desperate is not a bad thing. It's a growing thing. And we want to grow, but we don't like broken, and we don't like desperate. And sometimes we're upset with God that we're going through difficulty. So as inhumane as this may see, the, the creditor had the right to take her sons. And it would leave this woman with no source of income. It would leave this woman in a place of desperation. And what does she do? She says to Elisha, she says, she reminds him, you know that your servant feared the Lord, speaking of her husband, saying, look, we fear God. We have a love for the Lord, and we're in this very difficult situation. Does God care about his children? What's the answer? Absolutely. He cares about you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He proved it on the cross of Calvary. And so it's good for us to cry out to him. At a situation, I don't want to go into detail, but one of my sons this week, it was a very difficult situation, and 
when he cried out to his dad, how do you think I responded? Didn't blink. Flew back early from Florida to minister to my son. And you know what? When we cry out to, I'm an imperfect dad and I'm always available to my kids. If you're parents, you're always available to your kids. There's nothing your kids can ask you that you won't try to do. Amen? You go out of the way, and it doesn't matter how old they get. Well, how much more does our perfect heavenly father care about you? So understand that the debt had to be paid. And often what that meant is they would be slaves until the year of Jubilee. Now, the way that the Jewish law worked is every seven years, they had a sabbatical year. And in the sabbatical year, they were not to, they were let to the uh, crops or let the ground just rest. They were to plant nothing and to trust God to provide double when they replanted. And it's amazing how agriculture has now found that letting the ground rest every seven years is the best thing you can do for crops. If they'd read the Bible, they'd have known that a long time ago, amen? But the year of Jubilee is after every seven Sabbaths, after 49 years, they would have two years of rest. And in the year of Jubilee, all debts were forgiven. So any money you owed was written off. Any, any property that you had sold that was given to you when you entered into the land was given back to you. And so when people bought things, the price was based upon how close or far away from the year of Jubilee you were. If you were acquiring somebody's land and, and it was 45 years to the year of Jubilee, the price would be very high. If the year of Jubilee is in two years, the price would be much lower. We don't know how many years it was, but those, her boys being taken from her could have been 49 years they were going to be serving. They could be serving till long after she died. So she's in a desperate situation and she cries out to the man of God and she's going to seek his counsel and his wisdom. The Bible tells us there is wisdom in the counsel of many. We want to make sure we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but we seek counsel from those that walk with the Lord. So she cries out to Elisha. So Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now the word jar there, when you go to the original language, literally speaks of like a small, like a small bottle. Think of something like a perfume bottle. Don't think of a, a jar, like a big jar of oil. She has a little, you know, like a perfume bottle worth of oil. Oil was, very, was worth uh, quite a bit of money in those days. It could be traded. And she said, I have nothing in my house. I'm about to lose my boys. And all I'm going to have is this little, you know, perfume bottle full of oil that I might be able to trade for a little bit of food. And after that, I'm in trouble. Now, I love, and I think we should learn this lesson, that when she wants to see God do a work in her life, the first thing that Elisha asked her says, what do you have? See, when God wants to do a work in us, we need to take an active role in it. Amen. We need to take, remember the, the boy with two, you know, loaves and fishes? He was offering his small little lunch and God used it to, fed, to feed, you know, thousands. And guys, God can take what little we have in our hands if we are willing to give it to him and he can multiply it and use it for his glory. God doesn't need our stuff, but he certainly wants our hearts. And he wants us to hold loosely the things of this world and put those things into his hands that he might use them. So the first thing Elisha says to her is, well, what do you have? And she comes back with well, basically nothing. I just have this little, little jar of, little tiny jar of oil. That's all I have to my name. And once my boys leave, I'm going to be 
in trouble. In her desperation, she cries out to God. She calls on the prophet. He asks her, what does she have? And now watch how he responds. Then he says there, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. We're going to see several miracles in tonight's chapter. And one of the things we're going to see every time is that it requires a level of faith on the part of the person that God is going to do the miracle for. Here is the act of faith. I just have a little perfect bottle full of oil. Here's what I need you to do. Go to all your neighbors and gather as many empty jars as you want, as, a, you, know, as you can. And so she's going to have to go door to door. And I promise you, they already know her predicament. And she's going to be asking them, Haiti, do you have any empty, empty jars? What do you need it for? I'm not sure. <laughs> I've just been told to go get them. So I'm out here getting them. And I love that, that sometimes, you know, we don't have to always know the final answer. If God is leading us to do something, we need to obey God and trust in his sovereignty and his faithfulness. Amen. And so here... He says, go on. He tells her, don't just get a few. And I want to say this, the amount that she's going to be blessed. Now, again, I want to say this, these terms get misused all the time. You know, if you have faith, got to have faith. If you believe you got to have faith, right? And this nonsense where you have faith in faith and you move God and God has to do what you tell him and your words change God. God, no, aren't you glad your words cannot change God? Can I get an amen to that? Our God is greater but faith is real. It's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not seeing and then believing, it's believing and then seeing. And so she's being told, and we're going to notice that the depths of her faith will be seen by how many jars she brings back. You know, why am I even gathering these jars? What is he going to do? I, he hasn't told her. Maybe she has an idea that he's going to multiply the oil, but how does she know that? And so she goes out and she begins knocking on doors and collecting these empty vessels. She's borrowing from all of her neighbors. And again, this reminds me of chapter three. If you were here two weeks ago, remember they were in a famine and they needed water. And they went to the prophet. What did he tell them to do? Dig ditches. Hard ground, dig ditches. Are you, have you lost your mind, dude? It's 110 degrees out here and we're already thirsty. You want us to dig ditches? Dig ditches. They couldn't have possibly known that God was going to bring water without rain. We're not sure how it got there, but it was flooded somehow. And the bigger the ditch they dug, the more water they had. So the ones who had a little bit of faith and dug a little, you know, pothole, got a little pothole full of water. And the guys who dug a swimming pool, man, they were swimming. Amen. And so it took an act of faith on their part. And the same is true here that she needs, she's going to respond and how she responds will have an impact on how she's ministered to. It says, and when you have come in, after collecting the empty vessels, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So he tells her, okay, here's what's going to happen. When you get all the empty vessels, bring them in. And then this is what's going to happen. So she has an idea. And I'm going to take the oil in this and pour it into buckets and big bases. It doesn't make any sense to me, but go out and get the vessels anyway. So she brings them back. 
He says, shut the door behind you. It's a private blessing between her and her sons and the Lord to see God's provision for their family. Verse five, that she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now, I don't know. It doesn't tell us how. Some people, you know, you, you envision she just got it like this and it's a spigot just pouring out oil and she's filling. I have an idea that she had to pour it out and then look back up and refilled and then pour it out. So it took some time. And she sat there maybe for hours just pouring out oil and pouring out oil. And all this oil that she's pouring out is not only going to be uh, enough money to pay back the creditor to keep her boys from becoming slaves and her being a tough situation, but there's actually going to be enough oil to go beyond paying off the creditor. It's also going to be enough to provide for her and her sons for some time to come going forward. And why did this happen? Because she was asked, she went to the Lord, she sought godly counsel from a godly man. The godly man gave her godly counsel she responded in faith to the godly counsel and did as God had commanded her and called her to do. And then when she did it, God blessed her. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? And that's exactly what happens here. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. So she did what she was commanded to do. She did it in faith. The result answered the end. And God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. It's amazing to me how God will, can do it any way he wants, but he will often do it in a way that exercises our faith. God could just have, you know, had a camel come by and just drop the oil off or bring gold bars or give her a grocery store. I mean, God could have done anything. But what God does often with us, as he does with her, is he, requ he requires that, we, that our faith be exercised. Now, why is that? Because God knows when we exercise our faith, our faith grows. Amen? When you see God show up in a mighty way, don't you trust that he'll show up again? And the more times you see him do the miraculous, doesn't it give you greater faith and greater boldness to approach him and cry out for yet another miracle? And that's exactly what happens here is her faith is being exercised as she goes out in obedience and exercises it. It requires an action. And so God is going to, God is exercising her faith and the woman that once had in her house just a small little vessel of anointing oil, and now her house is filled with anointing oil, had as much oil as she had faith to collect, collect empty vessels. So as much, just like the guys who, you know, as much of a, as big of a ditch as they would dig was how much water they would get. And as much faith as she had in going out collecting empty vessels was how much blessing she would receive. Now, again, we don't give to God just so he'll give us stuff. Amen? What God desires to give us is far better than the nonsense you hear from the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, you know, nonsense from the, you know, the, pro the, the, the prophecy doctrine, all that nonsense, right? The, oh, you just give me a seed. And, it's, and seed in the Bible is always the word of God. It's never money. So you see those guys on TV, turn that charlatan off. Amen? But, God does want us to exercise faith. 
He does want us to step out. Now, one of the things I love is planting churches. And I, and I love when other people want to plant churches. And I just met with a guy who's planting a church in Brazil. And we're, we are going to help him. But one of the things I told him is, I love planting churches because it's kind of like jumping off a cliff without a net. It's like, I'm, base, I'm just going to jump and trust God to show up. Amen? We're going to go to a town with no people. And no money. And, and, and we don't have a microphone. We don't have a mic stand. We got a Bible and, and God. Can I get an amen? And we're going to go and find a place. And we're going to start a Bible study and watch what God does. And I just love when you go into a city and there was, it's something that wasn't there, then becomes something and God alone gets all the glory. Amen. And I love that Santa Cruz, that church is still there and the churches we planted out of that church are still there and the churches we planted out of those churches and praise God. Amen. But, but only when we get out of our comfort zone and we kind of let go and jump and say, here I am, Lord, use me, is when we get to see God do the miraculous. And that's exactly what has happened here. God provides for the prophet's widow and his children. And you know what? God will do that. Her husband had been a faithful man of God. He had served the Lord. He had prophesied to others. And God was not going to allow her to starve, but she still had to cry out. She still had to ask, and she still had to come to the man of God. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Here's some lessons we learned from this miracle. First of all, God provides. It says, in, it says in Philippians, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So the question is, how does this actually work? There's some interesting lessons in this story. First of all, use what you have. Take what you have in your hands and use it for his glory. Take the gift he's given you and use it for the kingdom of God. Don't just sit on the sideline forever waiting for God to for an angel to show up in your bedroom and tell you what to do for the Lord. Here's what I tell people to do. If you don't know what to do, dig a well. And what might be that what I mean by that is go out and just and do something. And you might try something and maybe that's not something you're called to do. But as you go out and you dig some wells, as you go out and seek to be used by the Lord in God's timing, he will show you what you what he's called you to do. So use what you have in your hands. Thirdly, along with, you know, trusting in God's provision, use what you have, work at it. God's blessing requires work. God never rewards the lazy. Amen? The Bible says, the man who does not work shall not eat. You read through the book of Proverbs, and a second only to wisdom is the call to diligence and not to be lazy. And that's true of all of us, but it's most true of the men in the room. Can I get an amen, men? Can I get a bigger amen than that, men? Okay, God has called us to provide for our families, to be the spiritual leaders of our household, to love and serve and protect our wives, to be the spiritual leaders, to be the men of God he's called us to be. And part of that means you get up in the morning and you go to work, amen? And when you get to work, you be the best worker in the building. And you're not a complainer, you're not a whiner, you're a hard worker. You show up on time, you do your job as unto the Lord, and you should do your job in such a way that your boss wants 50 more people just like you, and through that, God will be glorified. And remember when you go to work, you're showing up at your mission field, and when you walk into the building, the Holy Spirit just showed up, amen? 
So we need to go to work. And it's such a, it's so hard. I, I have people say this to me. I had it at the community center. A guy showed up and said, are you the pastor here? I need you to give me $1,000. I said, I need you to give me $1,000. What is that? And he said, well, the Bible says if I ask you, you have to give it. I, I handed my Bible. Show me that verse. <laughs> Let me show you another verse. A man who does not work shall not eat. Amen. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. We can go through the Bible and, and talk about laziness. And the reality is that you cannot, and I, I, look, I'll give someone a meal to help them, but I will never give money to people that aren't willing to work. And most of them don't want to. And so laziness is a sin. Amen? So if you want to be used by the Lord, expect to work at it. I love that it was done in secret because God was ministering to them as a family. They closed the doors and they saw God work. And you know what that did for that family? It let them know the power of God. Second, third, next we see pay your debts. Now they had all that oil and they could have just got greedy. Look at all this oil we've got. And he said, first thing you need to do is pay off your debts. By the way, the Bible says the, the debtor is the slave to the lender. Amen. And here's what happens when you, you know, getting into debt, getting into debt is contrary to what the Bible teaches us. And I do think we can use uh, I think buying a home can be viewed more as an investment, but even in that, we should never, you know, buy more than we can afford. And, and the other thing too is don't buy so much that you now have golden handcuffs. So what I mean by that is your payments are so big that you've got to spend all your time working to pay for stuff that's perishing. And you don't have any time left over to serve the Lord. Amen. When I was in my early 20s, I made the mistake. I had a very good job. It's the same job I have now. And in my early 20s, I was making a lot of money. And I bought a very big house with a very big house payment. And later on, I looked back and I thought, I didn't need this big of a house. And I said, I have golden handcuffs. Because it would keep me, if I ever wanted to just walk away and go serve in full-time ministry or whatever the Lord had me do. Later on, when I moved to Santa Cruz, we had a very big house. We sold the house. We moved into a trailer so that we could be freed up to do more for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you have to do that. But what I'm saying is we need to make sure that we possess our possessions. They don't possess us. And we recognize that everything we have belongs to the Lord. You drove here in God's car. You're wearing God's clothes. And that's God's money in your bank account and mine. Can I get an amen to that? It all belongs to the Lord. Let's be good stewards of it. Pay off your debts. And then live on what's left. The implication is don't live beyond what was left over, but live within your means. Again, too often we spend money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't know. Amen? Amen. You got credit card debt. You're just, you're in a, play, you're in a position where you're paying them. They, by the way, they want you to pay the minimum payment for the next 75 years. So you, can be, so you can take that $5 Starbucks coffee and now cost you $300 because of all the interest you paid. And I'm only sharing this because I think it's a biblical principle that we need to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Amen? And there are ways that we can, we can use our money in a way that honors the Lord. And also make room for God to do great things. Because notice again, the more empty vessels that she brought out of faith, the more that God filled up. And the more that we trust God to do great things, let's not limit what we think God can do. Let's trust God to do great and awesome things. I remember when we were in Santa Cruz, our church had 12 people and I went to the elders and said, we're going on the radio. They thought I'd lost my mind. 
dude, we have eight people here. How are we going on the radio? I said, well, nobody collects a salary. We've got money in the bank. We've got a tape machine. We're going on the radio. We went on the radio when we had eight people in our church. You should see when some of the people showed up after hearing us on the radio, because they thought people at the church were on the radio, probably really big church. By the way, if you didn't know, this little church is on five radio stations. We get calls every day how God's using the radio to impact lives, including a man, a, we have a blind man who lives in Ventura, who listens every day, calls me at least once a week, usually late at night. We talk for an hour or two, every, you know, at least once a week. And he says, praise God for Calvary Chapel, Canal Valley, and the people that give, because I get to listen to God's word every single day. He said, please tell them thank you. Do you know he got an inheritance this year? This man who lives hand to mouth. And do you know he took most of that inheritance and paid for our radio program for the next 12 months? You know what you call that? An act of faith. Can I get an amen to that? God put it in his hands. He's using it for his glory. Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us, God is able to do way above what we think or ask. And I'm learning to pray every day for God to bless me and for him to give me all that he wants to give me, to show me what he wants me to do, to not limit myself in what I think God can do. And to pray for divine appointments every day and opportunities to point people to Jesus. So point number one there, our God is a God of the miraculous. Who do you cry out to in times of desperation? Exercising our faith requires an action and God can provide in ways, but he does most often in a way that stretches our faith. Point number two, do you have a heart to serve and bless others? We're going to meet the Shunammite woman here. Let's begin there in verse eight. Now it happened one day Delisa went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman who persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. So here's a notable woman means that she was wealthy. Notable means wealthy or of, of great means. And so she was, but she was also a woman of hospitality. See, in those days when you traveled, there was no Motel 6. There weren't any hotels typically on the side of the road. So if you needed a place to stay, you would be needing someone to show you hospitality to invite you in. And this woman recognized that Elisha was being used by the Lord. And it seems that Elisha traveled in a circuit going from city to city to do ministry. And as he would come through her town, she, wanted, she would reach out to him and say, please come into my house. We want to feed you and take care of you and bless you. Now, look, this sounds self-serving, but we need to understand what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to provide for those physically, we provide for the physically for those who, pr who pr provide for us spiritually. Amen? Now, all of our pastors have jobs. We all do get housing allowances, small housing allowances, but we all have jobs, and praise God for that, and that's where God has us. But I also want you to know it's not wrong because I have people come up to me, I like going to your church because you work a job. And I'm like, I appreciate that. But I want you to know it's not wrong for pastors to be full-time either. Amen. Can I get amen? Amen. Now we're not. And I've been a pastor for 33 years and I've had a job pretty much almost the entire time. And so I love, I love my job. I was late tonight. I had sales calls in the Antelope Valley today. I drove 300 miles today. And I, just like you, you've worked all day and then you came to church. So did I. But I love it because I got to share my faith with several people today. And I love being in the mission field. And I love being out in the world and ministering to them and then coming to church with the rest of us. Amen? But 
She saw this man being used by the Lord. She recognizes that what she has belongs to the Lord. And so when this man came by, she would feed him. And she said, well, Elisha, she says to him, now look, every time you come by. So it became that when he would pass through her town, he would always come to her home and she would feed him and provide for his needs. She had a heart to minister to the physical needs of this traveling prophet. And Elisha sought, uh, sought nothing from her. He didn't ask for anything. Elisha wasn't knocking on doors and, and, and looking for a handout. He just trusted that where God guides, God provides. And this woman reached out to him and she blessed him and she pers persuaded him to come in. Now watch, she's not satisfied with that. And she said to her husband, look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes, he can turn in there. So this woman isn't just handing him a meal every once in a while. She literally wants to take a portion of her home and put together a guest room that belongs to Elisha. So whenever he's in town, he has a place not only to be fed, but a place to stay. And here's her heart. She doesn't tell anybody about it. She's not looking for any recognition. She simply wants to take what she has and bless a man of God with it. So she's got a wonderful heart. This, when I read about this, it so reminded me of my parents I've told some of you about it. My dad built, my dad was a pastor, but he was also CEO of a company. And my mom did not want to leave Orange County. And when he got promoted, we had to move up to Northern California. My mom had no desire to leave Calvary Costa Mesa whatsoever. And she said, I'm not going. <laughs> and so my dad, when my mom was 10 years old in Houston, Texas, she used to walk down this road on her way to school. And there was this big, beautiful uh, kind of country home with the front porch and it was four stories. And and my mom would always walk by it and she got to know the lady and the lady one day gave her the plans to the house and said, maybe someday you'll marry someone who will build you that house. So my mom had these plans since she was 10 years old. So all these years later, my dad's trying to get my mom to move up to Northern California. He says, look, we'll stay by the beach somewhere and I'll build you that house. And you know what? He built her that house. And for 43 years, that house was the Lord's. They never locked the door. I can't remember a time when someone didn't live with us that wasn't related to us. And anytime we had guests in town or the church needed to house somebody, we never had to even ask. We knew they would always be welcome in their house. There were so many weddings there I can't count. So many people, my wife got saved in the kitchen in that house. So many people gave their life to the Lord in that house. It was such a blessing, so used mildly by God. And when I thought of this woman, I think that this is the same kind of woman where, hey, this house belongs to the Lord and I want to minister to, I don't want to just use this house for our comfort. I want to use it for God's glory. And when you see in 1 Timothy, the qualifications for a pastor, that again, it's a qualification for a pastor, but it should be the heart of every believer. One of, the, one of them is the word is hospitality. By the way, of pastors, there's 15 uh, qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character. Only one speaks of gifting. God wants to use men and women of godly character. Amen? Give me someone with godly character and let's develop their teaching gift as opposed to someone who's a great teacher whose character is a mess. Amen. And so here she is and she wants to take what's been given her. She goes to her husband. She tells him what she wants to do. And I love how the Shunammite woman's heart 
It's the heart to serve and and bless them, waiting, again, wanting nothing in return. She She doesn't want anything from Elisha. She doesn't want anybody else to know. She just wants to serve. And it says that it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. So he's in the house and he's being blessed by this woman and she hasn't asked for anything. But look at verse 12. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant. So much like Elisha was Elijah's servant and he followed him around and learned from him. He had a man who followed him around. His name was Gehazi. And that was the servant that traveled with Elisha. So he would be staying there as well. And he turns to to Gehazi and he says to him, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on behalf on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Hey, look, you're blessing me. What can I do for you? You want me to go to the, to the king and talk you up? Do you want me to go to the head of the army to make sure he provides safety for you? And watch her response. I love it. She answered and said, I dwell among my own people. A good translation for that would be, I'm good with my life just the way it is. I don't need anything. I'm good. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. It's a blessing just to serve you. We find out quickly that the Shunammite woman had no ulterior motive. Elisha had offered her basically, you know, Elisha is a man of God, uh, you know, was, was used mildly by the Lord and had the respect of the king and others. And so he could have used his influence and she wanted no part of it. Many who serve, as I said in the beginning, do so with an ulterior motive. They serve and make sure everybody knows it. They walk around and tell everybody all the great things they're doing for the Lord or, or the way that they're giving to charity or how they're serving other people. And they love to, to tout it and they love to advertise it. And so often when people give, again, they'll take out uh, an announcement and will expect to be thanked repeatedly and praised. The Shunammite woman wanted no compen- compensation or favor. She just wanted to bless the man of God. So he, so. Verse 14, he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband's old. She doesn't have any children. Now keep in mind in those days, if you did not have children, it was viewed a curse. If you were a barren woman, you were viewed as less than a woman. And no doubt this has been something that was a heartache for her lifetime. But no doubt it was also something that she thought was far beyond ever being possible. Because her husband being older now means they no doubt have been married for a long time and been trying to have kids probably for decades. And so at this point, kind of like with Abraham and Sarah, no doubt probably thought, well, that ship has sailed. We're never going to have children. But notice she didn't have children, even even though no doubt she wanted them, but she continued to have a joyful heart. And she continued to serve others. And she continued to bless others. She wasn't mad at God. She wasn't angry with God. She remained faithful to God. Amen. So guys, if you're only faithful to God because he gives you what you want, you don't have a God. You have a genie. Amen. I'm going to tell you what I want. If you don't do that, then I'm not following you. Well, you were never following to begin with, but that's your attitude. Amen. So here she was. She didn't have children in those days. And so I love how 
The heart of Elisha is how can I bless her? And I want to tell you, I believe that's the heart of the Lord. When people are used mildly by God, when they're selflessly serving others, God just wants to bless them because he sees their faithfulness and you can't outgive God. So he said, call her. And he called her and she stood in the doorway. So he's in his room and she comes to the doorway. Elisha says, go get her. She comes in there and he's sitting in his little room and she's standing in the doorway and look what he says to her. This is awesome. About this time next year, you shall embrace the sun. What? No, no, no. You don't understand. It's too late for that. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm way behind the years. Look what she even says here. She said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. See, this was beyond something she could even hope for. This was something that to her seemed impossible. She was simply being hospitable to this man of God. She could have never, when he was at, when she was asked anything you want, I'll get it for you. She said, I'm good. I'm happy with my life. I don't need anything. I just want to serve. I'm fine. And then he says to her, you're going to have a son a year from now. And she basically says, don't, basically, she's basically saying, don't tease me like that. Don't make a promise to me that won't come true. You don't know how many times I've hoped for a son and how many times I thought maybe I was pregnant. I'm just, you know, speaking into her life here and it didn't happen. And how many times I've been disappointed. Please don't make that promise to me because that's something far beyond what I could even hope for. But yet he, he makes this promise. Do not lie. It was beyond her wildest dreams. You know what? Sometimes I think we limit God. I think sometimes we, we don't believe that God can do uh, far beyond what we could ever even hope for. He can. He's a great and an awesome God. We can trust him. Verse 17. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. Not only did she give birth to a son, she gave birth to a son exactly in the timing of what Elisha had told her. Now, if this was, were an Aesop fable, it would end right here. The curtain would come down. She'd be holding her son, playing with him, have him up in the air, laughing with him. And, you know, and they'd be singing songs and she'd be rocking him to sleep in the chair and the curtain would come down and we'd move on to the next thing. That's not what happens. Because guys, even when God does supernatural things, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Amen? A faith that hasn't been trusted is a faith that cannot be tested. Now watch what happens. This almost seems cruel if you're uh, looking at it from the wrong perspective. It said in verse 18, and the child grew and now it happened one day that he went with his father to the reapers. So he goes out with his father to, to reap their crops. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to the servant, carry him to his mother. So he was young enough to be carried. Uh, most commentators think he was probably six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that range. Picks him up, carries him to, the, to his mother. When he had taken him, he brought him into the mother and sat on her knees till noon. And then what? He died. Wait a minute. Now, I'll be honest with you. For this woman, she could have responded with, it would have been better if you'd never given me a child. Because at least before I knew I was barren, I didn't expect to have children. Now you give me a son and let me love him long enough that I'm totally crushed because he died. But I want you to see this woman's faith. I want you to see how she responds to this tragedy when she could have been so angry and so bitter with God. 
This barren woman selflessly feeds and lodges a man, seeks nothing in return, promises to give her a son. God gives her a son. And again, that's not where it ends. Because not long after that, her son dies in her arms. It just breaks your heart even thinking about it. However, when he died, this was not what this barren woman had so miraculously been blessed with a son for. She would have hoped or expected that her precious son would, of course, live, outlive her life. And she's no doubt heartbroken, but watch what she does. Here's an act of faith. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. She didn't go dig him a grave. She went and laid him on Elisha's bed and went to find Elisha because she had seen God do a miracle in giving her a son. And she believed that God could do an even greater miracle and give her son back. She believed what no one else would believe. See, she had had this miraculous work, a mighty work of God, and she's going to run and find Elisha because Elisha was the one that God spoke through about her getting pregnant. And she's not given up that easily. And she lays her son down. She doesn't dig a grave for him. It doesn't even appear that she tells her husband. She just puts him down and goes to run to find Elisha. And watch what happens. Then she said to her husband, and she does tell him, well, she says, please send me a young man and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And then she said, so he said, why are you going? It's neither moon, new moon or Sabbath. And she said, it is well. She doesn't tell him. Hey, I'm going to find Elisha. I need a donkey. Load me up here. Let me go. Where are you going? It's not new moon or Sabbath. New moon or Sabbath, again, were times when they would go and make sacrifice or go and worship. Hey, it's not Easter or Christmas. Why are you going trying to find the, the, you know, right? Why are you trying to go find the man of God? You know, the Sabbath, Jewish uh, religious days were at times when you might expect you want to talk to the prophet. And so he, and it says there, verse 24, then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She's like, look, get on that donkey and let's get going. And don't slow down unless I tell you to. Let's, let's make haste. Let's go find the man of God. Now we know Shunem to Mount Carmel is about 25 miles. And 25 miles being taken by a donkey probably was no picnic and it probably wasn't going as quick as she would hope. And she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now and meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she said, it is well. She told her husband it is well. Now she tells Gehazi it is well. And here's what I believe is the case. She doesn't want to tell anybody else what happened until she gets to Elisha. Because she, she doesn't believe her husband can do anything about it. She doesn't believe Gehazi can do anything about it. So she's not seeking uh, an audience with either of them. She wants to get to the one who can answer her prayer, if you will, or who can intercede on her behalf with Almighty God. I think it's a great lesson for us when we're going through despair, don't run to the world for answers because they don't have any. Amen? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't ask all your friends what they think. Don't go out of the bar and get lit up and ask them what they think about the situation. You know what we need to do? Don't go to anybody but to the Lord. 
or get godly counsel from someone that knows the Lord who will pray with you and seek God's wisdom with you. And this is her heart. Look, Gehazi, dude, you're second, you're second fiddle. I'm talking to you. Everything's fine. She keeps saying it is well. Now watch what happens. It says there, verse 27, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. It's amazing how many, you know, quote, godly men are always pushing people away. Remember when, when the little kids were coming to Jesus and the apostles were trying to get rid of them? And Jesus said, let the little children come unto me from such is the kingdom of heaven. I pray that we're not pushing people away from Jesus. Amen. That we're not trying to win a political argument that pushes people away from Jesus. That we're not trying to, to win the battle and lose the war. Guys, we want to win people, not arguments. Amen? We don't want to be a roadblock to keep people from Jesus. We want to be a path that leads people to the Lord. Because we, show that we, we live with love and grace and mercy that draws people to him. That they would want to know what's different about us. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden from me, it from me and has not told me. Now, even though he's a man of God and God had spoken to him often and spoke through him often, at this point, he doesn't know what's going on. And I think there's a good lesson for us too. Uh, here's this man of God. He doesn't know. We don't always know everything. Amen. And sometimes when people come to you and they need counsel, sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's pray. Amen. I don't know what we should do right now. Let's get on our knees and seek the Lord together. It's better to say, I don't know, than just give flippant responses. Amen. So he doesn't know. He's the man of God and God has hidden it from him, but God is going to give him wisdom. But watch what happens. Now watch. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, don't deceive me? See, when he came and said, You're gonna, don't lie to me. Don't tell me I'm having a son. That's far beyond anything I could dream for. Hey, don't die. I've been through the heartache. Don't do that to me. And then you, you, I told you, don't deceive. And now I have a son. And you know, six or seven years later, he dies on my lap. I'm in more despair now than I was before I ever had a son. And did I not tell you Please don't do this to me. So she brings this to Elisha, and Elisha says to her, verse 29, Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready, take my staff in your hand, and be on your way. If you meet someone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but, but lay my staff on the face of the child. He hands the staff to Gehazi and tells him, to rush and not to stop, not anything get in his way and get to the child as quickly as he can. And Gehazi is going to, to go on his behalf and take the staff in his hand. Instead of directly going, to him, going himself, he sends his servant. This seems to follow the pattern of Elisha's ministry. He did not do things for people directly, but gave them opportunity to work for God and to trust him for themselves. He would often do this where he would, instead of, you know, because Elisha could have gathered the jars for the, pre, for the Shunammite woman, couldn't he? But he didn't do that. He told her to do it. And God could certainly open up the sky and pour everything out from heaven. But instead, he tells us to take an active role in it. Why? Because us stepping out in faith helps our faith grow. Amen? 
And the same thing is happening here. Often Elisha, when he could have done it himself, he sends others. He wants them to, to use their faith. He wants them to step out. He wants them to be used by the Lord. Now watch, as the mother said to her, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. He was going to send Gehazi. He wasn't even going to go. He trusted that Gehazi would go, lay the staff on the young man he would raise up. But she's, just, she's determined. No, 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 no. I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving your side. She's going to intercede on behalf of her son. She's not going to settle for less than the man that God used to speak to her about him being born. I'm not going anywhere. All right, I'll go with you, right? So she, he goes with her because she says, I'm not leaving without you. And again, praise God for that. You know what? It's interesting in scripture. Do you remember how, how, how Jacob wrestled with God? And how he would not let go of the Lord. And by the way, pre-incarnate Jesus, and that means Jesus could whip you wrestling. Can I get an amen? But pre-incarnate Jesus, he's hanging on to him until he knocks his, you know, knocks his hip out of socket, right? But he's hanging on to the Lord and the Lord breaks him, which makes him more into a mighty man of God. He's hanging on tight to the Lord. He's not going to let anything else be the answer. And she's doing the same. Look, you're the man of God. You're the man that God uses. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not settling for anything less. I need you to go with me. And you know what? Moms can be uh, persuasive. Amen. Now Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and saying, the child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, to point number, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. So she will only go with Elisha, but even when Elisha shows up, her son is still dead. Now, God uses people that pray. Look at verse 33. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them. And what did he do? He prayed. Here's this man of God, the prophet that God is using mightily, but he's not a man who rests in his calling or gifting. He's a man that continues to get on his knees and cry out to the Lord. I don't know about you, but the times while my prayer is most fervent it's when I am the most desperate. Can I get an amen to that? When you're in a situation where you can't fix it, and typically when it's somebody else, not you, somebody that you love, that you would be willing to die for if necessary, that will drive you to your knees and you will cry out to God like you never have before. And if you've never been there, I, pr I pray that something happens in your life to get you there because it's worth it. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, if we don't ever get there, we will miss out. And I, I don't want to tell you, but struggles with my, my kids, specifically my boys, my most fervent prayer in my life has always been when I'm concerned about their safety, when I'm concerned about their struggles. And, and in the last week, I was on my face again, crying out to God, please spare him. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Nothing else, and I don't care if anybody hears, I don't care if anybody else thinks, it doesn't matter. I'm hanging out with the Lord and he's the only focus. And so here he is, and he could have just said something, but what does he do? He shuts the door, gets on his knees, and they pray, and they seek the Lord. And God uses people who prayed. He prayed to the Lord, shut the door. God did heal the Shunammite son in response to Elisha's prayer, and he prayed after the manner of, of 
his mentor, Elijah. Elisha, Elijah was also a man who prayed. Now watch what happens. It says, when Elisha came to the house, he lied on his bed. He went there and shut the door and prayed. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. He stretched himself on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He comes and he lays himself out on top of the child. His hands are stretched out. He's on top of him. And as he lays on top of him, life comes back into him. And I love this picture because here his hands are stretched out. And to me, a picture of the cross. I mean, as the Lord hung on the cross for us and, you know, as he, again, lost intimacy with the father and felt all the sin of mankind placed upon himself, it brought you and I back to life. Amen. It allowed us to be redeemed and to be forgiven. God uses people that pray. I'm not just talking about praying over your dinner. Amen. I pray every day. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in a restaurant, dear Lord, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want anybody to notice I'm praying. I'm not talking about a few sentences before bedtime. Imagine if that's the conversations you have with your spouse. How long would your marriage last? It needs to be deeper than that. I'm not talking about quick, quick little prayers whispered throughout the day. Ian Bounds, a man used my leaf with prayer, it says this, much time spent with God is the secret to all successful praying. Prayer which is felt as a mighty force is the immediate product of much time spent with God. Our short prayers owe the point and efficiency to long ones that have preceded them. There's nothing wrong with a short prayer, but we need to spend time in God's presence. One of my favorite prayers, I've told you a lot, I pray this every day, help! That's a great prayer. I pray it all the time. Help me, Lord. Lord, help. I do. I pray it a lot. I'll be on the phone talking to somebody I've never met who's got a kid who's overdosed because I'm on the pastor. I'm on the, uh, the pastor server for all the Calvary's in the country. And if somebody has a kid struggling with drugs, they give them my phone number and I'll be muted listening to the guy. And I'm trying to have wisdom on how to respond. And I may be driving to a sales call and I'll be, Lord, help. Give me wisdom, Lord. Let me open my mouth and your words come out. I don't want it to be me. But there needs to be that intimacy with God. We need to spend time in his presence and seek his face. And it shouldn't be a have to, it should be a get to. I get to spend time with the creator of the universe. And notice what it says here. He returned and walked back forth in the house, back and forth in the house. And again, went up and stretched himself on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So the first time he laid on him, he got warm. And then he went back and forth. He went and laid on him again and he sneezed seven times. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. How there's not an exclamation point, not, not, how there isn't an exclamation point next to that, I have no idea. Can you imagine the joy that came to the heart of that woman. But do you understand that the only reason that this is even happening is she didn't bury her son. She went and sought Elisha. She didn't, she trusted that God could do exceedingly abundantly of all she could ask or think. That he could raise her son from the dead. She believed it by faith. And that's what we see throughout this text. Each of these texts is that the people that see miracles are people that have faith. Two more miracles. They're short ones. Take a look here. Uh, death in the pot. What does that mean? Look at verse 38. 
And she went in, fell, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She said, picked up her son and went out. And Elisha returned to Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. So Gilgal was, you know, kind of basically kind of his hometown, home area. And Elisha, in that area, they had a school for the sons of the prophets. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So Elisha is a prophet. These guys are like the equivalent of they're in seminary or Bible college. They're learning, preparing to be prophets like their parent, like their fathers. A lot of, my dad's a pastor. I'm a pastor. My son-in-law's a pastor. I mean, it happens, right? And so here he sees these and this, and when there's a famine mentioned in, in second Kings chapter eight, I believe this is probably the famine that's taking place. The famine went on for seven years. So he comes to these men studying the word and Elisha has a burden for them. And he tells his servant, Hey, go make them some stew. Go gather some stuff. So watch what happens. So he went out to the field and gathered herbs and found wild vines and gathered it um, from a lap full of wild gourds and came in and sliced them and put on the stew, though they did not know what they were. By the way, probably not a good idea to eat stuff when you don't know what it is. <laughs> Just saying. Verse 40, then they served it to the men to eat. Now what happened as they were eating the stew, they cried out, man of God, there's death in the pot. That's, for good, that's, a, great, that's a great text for anybody who thinks marijuana is a good idea. There's death in the pot. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, which is the, you know, man. 420 is a national holiday up there. And, and, and God, come on, Pastor Dave, man, it grows by the ground, man. You got to relax a little bit, man. If God didn't want us to smoke it, he wouldn't let it grow. <laughs> and I'd say, well, uranium comes out of the ground. We should smoke some of that. How about some poison oak? See how that works out for you. <laughs> don't, don't try that nonsense. But watch what happens. And they could not eat it. So they're eating this, they're starving and they're hungry and they bring them a stew and they start eating it and they find out it's got, it's poisonous. We don't know how they know. I mean, it's probably obviously making them sick. Something's happening. Now watch this. So he said to them, said, bring, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot. He said, serve it to the people they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now, does this make any sense? I got a bowl full of poisonous stew. Let's throw some flour in there. That'll do it. Do you think it took some faith for the next guy who got a bowl after the flour was thrown in? Hey, it's fine now. I put some flour in there. Uh, no, I think I'll wait. <laughs> hey, hey, Bill, you go first. <laughs> Let a few other guys eat. I'll watch them for an hour and then I'll just hide. But here's what I want you to see. He doesn't say, okay, you have to go through the pot and pull every little piece out that could be poisonous. <laughs> Pick out every little piece that might be poisonous first. Instead, he adds to the poison and it's not poison anymore. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? He doesn't tell us go and get, get all your sin out of your life. Because by the way, that would be impossible. And getting every little piece of every little thing in this big pot of stew that was to feed dozens of people would have been impossible. So God doesn't tell us to get rid of all the poisonous stuff in our lives. You know what he says? I'll get rid of it for you. Amen? And our lives are not changed by taking things away, but by adding Jesus. Amen? By surrendering our lives to him, becoming new creations in Christ, all, you know, 
all, you know, all things become new. All, everything, all, all sin has passed away. And all the old things have become new. We're new creations in Christ. And he adds flower. I don't know why flower. I have no uh, spiritual analogy for flower. But I love that he added, well, except maybe Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? How about that? <laughs> right? Manna came from the sky. God provided for them. And here we see when you add the hand of God to something that's poisonous and brings about death, it now becomes something that is fruitful, it becomes something that can feed us, it becomes something that helps somebody who's starving to, to survive. And all we need to do is add what the Lord wants us to add. Final verse, final verses here, final little miracle. The Lord will take the little you have and multiply it. Watch this. This is going to sound familiar. We're going to see something happen several thousand years later when Jesus comes. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought a man, brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he gave it. He said, give it to the people that they may eat. So he brings him. It's not that, it's, you know, it's, it's some loaves of bread but it's enough that fits in a knapsack. So it's not, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a bakery. He's, he's brought him some little loaves of bread and he hands it to the man of God. You know, again, like an offering to bless him, right, during this famine. And he says to him, okay, take these loaves and go feed him. Verse 43, but a servant said, what? Shall I set this for, for 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he said it before them, they ate and they had some left over according to the word of God. Does this sound like anything in the New Testament? Isn't this amazing? They took a boy's lunch and fed thousands, right? And here we see it in the Old Testament. And what he's doing is, it goes back again. Here's the common theme. Faith Faith, 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 faith. All five things, all the miracles that we saw, the oil required faith for her to go get the empty vessels. The woman who invited him in for hospitality and provided for him and then was told she would have a son. Faith, to believe she would have a son. Her son dies. She believes he can be resurrected. Faith, right? And then when we looked at the here, we put a little flour in this poisonous soup. Have another bowl. Faith, <laughs> amen, to, to eat that. And here we have again, he's asked to do something that seems impossible. And notice when the miracle takes place, when we put it in, you know, when we basically give it to the Lord and the Lord will take it and it will multiply. God not only provided for them, but he provided and there was stuff left over. So in closing, our God is a God of the miraculous. Who do you cry out to in times of desperation? If you're going through a tough time right now, don't run from the Lord, run to him. Whatever you're going through, God is greater than your circumstances. He is a faithful God. And even though it doesn't make sense to you right now, God can use even the trials of life and, can, and will use the trials of your, of your life to grow you spiritually. Do you have a heart to serve and bless others? If so, do it without pointing to yourself. We have a lot of people in this church who bless others and do it anonymously. Sometimes they do it and have, have it go through the church so nobody will know where it came from and God will get all the glory. And praise God for people like that. Amen. Uh, God uses people that pray. 
You want to be closer to the Lord? You want to have more intimate fellowship with God? Spend time on your knees. Again, there's death in the pot. The answer is not removing the sin from our lives. Uh, The poison of sin can only be removed by Jesus. See, it's not us getting rid of stuff. It's us adding Jesus. Amen? When When we give our lives to the Lord, he'll remove that. He'll wipe away all that, all the sin, past, present, and future. And finally, um, the Lord will take what little we have and multiply it for his glory. I know we're over time, but I don't know if you know, you know the story of Calvary Chapel. We'll have to watch Adventure in Faith some Thursday night. But Pastor Chuck had been a pastor for a long time. And he would go from church to church every two years because he only had 100 messages. And after two years, he ran out. And then God put it on his heart to teach verse by verse. And the church he was at said, oh, oh, people won't stand for that. We're not doing that. And, and then everybody, all the other churches in the denomination didn't want to be a part of it. Well, there's this little church called Calvary Chapel that had 25 people in it. And they're about to close their doors. And Chuck said, I'll come, but I'm going to teach verse by verse. And they were desperate, like, hey, just come, please. And you know that he came and he just taught verse by verse this little church of 25 people. And then at one point, he had a heart for the hippies. And God used him, a thing called the Jesus Movement. And now there's thousands of churches all over the world that have been planted out of the Calvary Chapel movement and millions and millions of people got saved because a man decided to teach the Bible to 25 people in a little church down in Costa Mesa. God can take what little we give him and use it in miraculous ways. Amen? We just need to be available and say, here I am, use me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you. They're a God of the miraculous. Lord, we ask that you do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. I pray for everyone's here tonight, whatever they may be going through. Maybe only you know. Lord, may you bless them, strengthen them, encourage them. Help us, Lord, not to run from you, but to run to you. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people who are hospitable to use what you've given us and not do it for our credit, but for your glory, seeking nothing in return. Lord, I pray we would take what little we have and put it into your hands that it might be used for your glory. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...